Um, we conclude our study today in the book of Philippians. Now, at New Life Church, we believe that the Bible was breathed out by God. The authors of the Bible were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So when we decide to preach through a book of the Bible, we preach through every verse, not skipping anything. We don't just preach the nice stuff that we want to know about. We want to know the full counsel of God. Now, today's passage is the end of the letter to the Philippians. And in this passage, Paul is think, thanking them for the gifts that they sent to, them, to him, and then he also gives them final greetings. So at first glance, it's just, he's just giving them greetings and thanking them for the gift. But even in thanking them, this is Paul we're talking about. So even in thanking them, he uses the opportunity to include some good teaching. And um, we are going to look more closely at these gems of wisdom that we find in the final words of this letter. So please stand with me as we read Philippians 4, verse 10 to 23. Philippians 4, verse 10 to 23. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To your God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your presence here today. Please guide me and direct me as I bring your word to your precious people. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the title of my sermon today is The Secret of Contentment. And we're going to start. My first point is I can accept all things. We see that in verse 10 to 12. Now, Paul first came to Philippi on his second missionary trip. And the Philippian church was the first church that Paul founded in Europe. Now, the Philippians loved Paul. And although they were poor, 
we see that they alone supported him at one stage in his ministry. And now, after many years, Paul sends, uh, they again sent Paul a generous gift while he is in jail in Rome. So Paul starts in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Okay, this shows us that Paul was aware of their desire to continue to help him. But for some other reason, they, they didn't have the opportunity. Um, this could be because you know, he was a missionary, he was always moving, or he was far away, or they didn't actually have someone to send the gifts. Um, but one thing you notice about Paul is that he never complained, he never um, manipulated people or the situation. Because Paul had confidence that the sovereign God is in control. And we see then in, he uses the, ver, the, the word content twice in this section. Paul says, I can accept all things. He says he is content. So, so what is contentment? What does that word mean? I am content. Well, it means there's a sense of satisfaction, and it means that I can accept my current situation. It's not fatalism, I accept it because whatever's happening is bad and I accept it. It is a sense of satisfaction and accepting your current situation. So contentment is not ignorance, um, it's not pretend, it's not the power of positive thinking, uh, it's not fatalism. Paul says he's content, and I wonder, but how can he say this? How can Paul say he's content because Number one, he's in jail. And number two, Paul was familiar with suffering. Remember when God called him? He showed him how much he would suffer for the sake of his name. The Lord spoke to Ananias in, in the book of Acts concerning Paul's suffering. In Acts 9, verse 15 and 16, we read, But the Lord said to him, that's to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Right? And, and did Paul suffer? Please go with me to 2 Corinthians 11. It's this amazing passage where Paul actually lists his sufferings. 2 Corinthians 11 23 to 28. We'll see there in the middle of 23. Paul says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the ocean, in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I have been in danger from bandits. I have been in danger from my fellow Jews. I have been in danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and have more often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, 
I face daily the pressure of my concern for all my churches. Right? Paul did not have a good time. This wasn't a good vacation. Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel. Yet he says, I am content. Contentment doesn't happen automatically. Especially if things are not going your way. And Paul says here, it didn't happen automatically. I had to learn to be content. It was a lesson learned through experience. We saw now in 11 and 12, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have to learn the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So we learn to be content. Learn to be content through sufferings, being in jail. And we know that in those situations, you can only be content if you have hope. Without hope, you can't be content in a situation like that. And Paul has hope. He has faith in God. Remember in Habakkuk, we had a verse, it says, the just shall live by faith. We learned that um, in Habakkuk, we saw that God told Habakkuk he's going to punish his people, the Israelites. And it's going to be a severe punishment. They're going to be taken captive and, and, and be prisoners. And, and he said, but don't worry, the just shall live by faith. This is a, 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 a verse that's repeatedly in the Bible, in Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Hebrews 10.38, Galatians 3.11, the just shall live by faith. So I've got a question for you. What is faith? We all talk about it. We know, but we don't actually take the time to define it. What is faith? Okay, the dictionary says it's a belief. It's a conviction. It is complete confidence in something, sometimes without proof. But faith without proof is not the Christian way. We are not called to just close our eyes and take a leap of faith in the, in, in the dark. You know, we are not called to just believe. Our belief and our conviction is based on something. It's based on our experience. It's based on historical proof. We've got all the prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah. We've got the life of Jesus. We've got the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We've got eyewitness accounts. Even the Old Testament, God has patiently shown Abraham and Moses and the Israelites who he is and that he can be trusted. So what is the biblical meaning of faith? Christian faith is complete trust in God. We trust God's promises and we trust God's word. And it's not a trust on nothing. Trust. Genesis 15.6 we are told that Abraham believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. It does not say that Abraham believed that there is a God. It says he believed the Lord. What the Lord said he will do, he will, he will, that he will do. And that was counted to him as righteous. Isaiah 26.3, wonderful, it says, You are Lord, you will keep in perfect peace 
those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So Paul is content because he believes God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Okay, I, I don't want to veer off too, too much from today's passage, but there's an important point I want to highlight about faith. That is, how can you trust someone if you don't know them? How can you completely, without reservation, trust someone if you don't know them? We can know God, and we are not called to trust an unknown God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, he says, Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that has been entrusted to me. Paul says he knows whom he has believed. Paul trusted God, he had faith in God, because he knew God. Okay, but that's Paul. Paul is a year of the faith. He's an apostle. He wrote a third of the New Testament. What about us? Can we know God intimately? Or is it enough to believe that God exists? Without reservation, God exists and I believe that. But what about knowing God? Does God want us to know Him more intimately? Jeremiah 9, 24 but let him who boasts, boast in this, says the Lord, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in all the, in all the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Hosea 6.6 6, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Do you hear what God says? He delights in the one who wants to know him. He delights in the knowledge of God rather than offerings. This should warm our hearts. Not only does God want to be known, but he delights in the one who wants to know him. Even Jesus' high priestly prayer. I encourage you to go look at John 17. It's the longest prayer that we have recorded that Jesus prayed for us. And it's got, it's got some wonderful, it's something we can, we can just meditate on. At one stage in his prayer, Jesus says, Father, just like I am in you and you are in me, I pray that they will be in us. That intimacy is, is something that we can't comprehend, that God wants us to know him. J.I. Packer, he summarizes this whole concept of contentment because we know God. He summarizes it like this. He says, Once you become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God, then most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Isn't that what inner peace is? That inner peace that can bring contentment even when you are in trouble? If you know God, then you can agree with Paul and say, I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation. Okay, but knowing God is, you know, it's more than head knowledge. It's, 
It's involvement. It's our mind. It's our will. It's, it's our feelings. Micah 6, 8 says, And what does the Lord require of you? That you walk humbly with Him. It's walking with God. God delights in the one who wants to know Him, and He requires that we walk with Him. If you are not a Christian, and you are here this morning, wouldn't you love to know God? Wouldn't you love to have peace and contentment? If you have questions and you want to take that step, then I encourage you um, to please speak to me after the service or one of the elders. We'd really love to pray with you and show you more of this, this peace that God offers. Right, back to the, today's passage. We go, my second point, we, we look at 4.13. Paul continues, he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, we have all heard that one before. One of the best known verses in all of scripture. This verse is well loved, it's often quoted, but often also misunderstood and misapplied. You might remember Robert preaching on this very verse in our series that we had. We had a series called Misquoted, Taking the Bible Out of Context. And Robert clearly showed us that this verse does not mean that God is on my side and whatever I will do, He will bless. This verse does not mean that I must just believe in myself and I can do this. The ESV says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And if we take it out of context, I can do all things. But I like the NIV for this verse because the NIV forces us to read this verse in context. The NIV says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Then you ask, what is this? And you, and you read the Bible in context. You go look at verses 10, 11, and 12. This I can do. I can do all things. I can do this. I can do, Robert said, it's translated from the Greek verb Yeshua, which means to be strong, to have power, to have resources. So Paul is saying he gets his physical strength to endure from the Lord. It means Paul, God, gave Paul the strength to withstand all things. Difficulty, but he mentions, he also says prosperity, right? We often miss that, but that's the problem with human nature. When I'm in prosperity, when I've got no problems and life is smooth, I forget about God. I don't need Him. He's not, he's not, I don't cling to Him. But Paul says, even in prosperity, he prays that God will give him the strength to endure, to know that everything comes from God. J.F.B. Tingling Okay, this guy is a 19th century author, and he was a missionary to India as well. And he, he preached on this verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he had this story. He says, in the days of Bloody Mary. Okay, Bloody Mary was the queen of England, Ireland, and Spain in the 1550s. Now, she was a Roman Catholic queen. This was during the, the Protestant movement, the Reformation, the English Reformation, and she persecuted the Protestants. So she got the nickname Bloody Mary. Okay? He says, In the days of Bloody Mary, a poor Protestant was condemned to be burned alive. 
when he came in sight of the stake, he shouted, Oh, I, I cannot burn. I cannot burn. Okay, and those who were there, they supposed, Oh, he intended to recant. But they misunderstood him. He felt he needed more strength to bear this ordeal in a worthy manner. So he cried out in agony and he prayed to God in agony and he said, he asked God to reveal himself to him. And as a result of this, instead of recanting, he cried out triumphantly, Now I can burn. Now I can burn. That is the essence of Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. God can give us the strength to endure in difficulty, but remember also in prosperity. Paul continues in 14 to 19. It's the, first, the third point of my sermon, I can do all things. 14 to 19. Yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Right? In these verses, Paul makes sure to tell the Philippians that they share in his ministry. They are partners with him by supporting him. Remember I said Paul first came to Philippi in his second missionary trip. And that this was the first church that was established in Europe. And then when he continued on with his missionary trip, they sent him gifts. They supported him. Now in this, this little section, the terms he uses the terms giving, receiving, credited to your account. These are business terms. And he's saying the Philippians' gift was producing spiritual profit. Just as money deposited in a bank will give you profit, will give you interest. Paul gave of himself to the gospel, and the Philippians gave their resources to provide for his needs. They were partners with him, and in that sense, they were also sharing in the gospel. Paul tells him that their gifts are more than just material stuff, and their selfless giving will be rewarded by God. By giving, the Philippians were storing up for themselves treasures in heaven, so they were partners with him. This is interesting because a few Sundays back, as we went through Philippians, we learned that we cannot be saved by good works. Right? We want to be saved. We cannot be saved by good works. The only way to be saved is through faith, is to trust God. God has, Jesus has come. He's the Son of God. He's died for our sins. He represented us. And God has raised him from the dead. And he's given him all authority in heaven and earth. By believing, we are saved. By trusting God's word, we are saved. But once we are saved, we are called to good works. The good works is not to show we are good people. The good works is not to earn credit in heaven. The good works is to glorify God. But the Bible says there is a reward in heaven for good works. 
Matthew 5.12, Jesus told his disciples, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Okay, their good works was to be prosecuted. Or per, sorry, persecuted, right? Persecuted in the sense that they will not deny God. The aim, our good works, is to glorify God, to, to obey God, to follow God, to glorify Him. That, that's what our hearts want to do. We want to glorify God. And that in itself is a good work because we will not deny God. Jesus told His disciples, okay, you will not deny me, so your reward in heaven will be great. For in the same way, they, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Revelations twenty two twelve, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. Matthew sixteen twenty seven, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Okay. But again, the deeds, the good works, is our desire to glorify God in everything we do. Paul continues, verse 18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is essentially saying, you met my need, and God can meet your need. You met one need that I had, and God can meet all of your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God can give out of His riches. Right, let's have a little class, a little break here. Let's have an economics class. Anybody had economics in school or in university? Okay. Turn with me to Psalm 50, please. Psalm 50. Okay, Economics 101. Are you ready? Here it is. Everything belongs to God. Amen. Psalm 50, verse 10 to 12. For every beast in the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not ask you, for the world... And its fullness are mine, says the Lord. Amen. God can supply according to his riches. Paul continues, final greetings, verse 21 to 24. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those that belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul closes this letter with a few words of greeting and a benediction. This is nice because it reminds us that this letter is not a, a theological paper that he's submitting for his PhD. No, it's a letter to a church. It's a personal letter. Paul cared for the church and the church cared for him. And it's not a genetic greeting when he says, greet all the saints. Paul is essentially saying, Greet each one individually. And uh, let's appreciate the mention of Caesar's household in this text. Okay, it does not necessarily mean that it was Caesar's immediate family 
that, that for Christians and, and sending their greetings. But it could include family. But it did include the Praetorian God and others who met Christ through Paul's witness. Do you remember Philippians 1.13? Pastor Gareth, um, uh, he explained to us, remember he said, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And Pastor Gareth reminded us that Paul was in chains and there was a, uh, the, the guards had to be with him 24-7. And he was probably chained to the guards. So, in actual fact, he had a captive audience. So who was the prisoner? He was the proclaiming the gospel and the guards were there and they just had to hear it, right? And it seems like some of them became Christians. Now consider this. Caesar's household, consider this. Nero was the emperor when Paul was in jail in Philippi, in, in, in Rome, when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. Now Nero... came to the throne at 17 after his mother poisoned her third husband, Claudius, who happened to be her uncle. Five years later, Nero had her killed. Three years after that, he had his wife killed so that he could marry another man's wife. He murdered many of his top officials in the Senate and in the military. So imagine that. Imagine working for Caesar in that corrupt environment. Yet, the gospel was spreading there. How can it be? It's because the gospel is not a man-made religion. It's God's gospel. God will guard it and protect it. It's amazing because in the first century, what people saw when they looked at this early church, what they saw was people of all walks of life loving one another caring for one another, praying for one another. Slaves and free men, they were in this community. Rich and poor were in this community. Roman citizens and non-Roman citizens, they were in this community. Learned people and illiterate people, they were in the same community. And this community was caring for one another. It was the utter, to the utter amazement of the world outside that this community was bound by unity and love. And what is this unity? What is this thing that brought them together? It wasn't just a social club. What unites them and what unites us is God himself. It's Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our desire and goal is to know Christ more deeply. Like Paul said in Philippians 3.10, remember? I count everything at last as a loss, for the sake of knowing Christ. I want to know Christ. So in conclusion, what we saw today, the secret of contentment is to know God and to trust God. To have hope in the providence of God, the power of God, the promises of God. This was sufficient for Paul even in the face of all the sufferings he had to endure. And it will definitely be sufficient for us also. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we know that all Scripture is breathed out by you and is profitable for us. Even at the end of this letter, where Paul gives final thanks and greetings, we find it profitable for, preach, for, for, for training, training in righteousness. May your word take root in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.